Previously on Story Logical. <laughs> <laughs> the shaken gurgling face that blessed him, equine in his length, and at the light untaunted hair, grained and hued like pale oak. And that was Nay Wilkerson with Ulysses by Jimmy Joy. How many different types of whiskey did you drink in Ireland? Less than a dozen, more than two. That's pretty good for four days. If you'd, if you'd managed more than a dozen, I probably would have been worried. This is Story Logical a podcast about amazing stories that we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. My pick for this week is Nina Allen's The Art of Space Travel, which is a novelette that was in tour, on tour.com in July 2016. It is the story of Emily, who is head of housekeeping at a hotel near Heathrow. It's a special hotel, the one that has been selected for the Mars Expeditionary astronauts to stay in before they head out. Did you say expeditionary? I did. Is that... That's not a real word, is it? No, it's not a word. Now, now, from henceforth, shall we? Um, it's not just any Mars trip. It's a one-way trip. The people aren't coming back. Um, but that's all backdrop, right? That is all just so much, I guess, energy to the plot. Um, the reason for the, the sort of a crisis and interest to happen with Emily and the relationships around her, which are the relationship she has with her mum, who she calls Mooley, who is... Um, sick with some kind of mysterious disease that she that came from investigating a radioactive crash site of the previous Mars expedition. <laughs> um, and then through Mooley, uh, Emily is trying to find out about who her father is. And at the centre of it all is this book, The Art of Space Travel, which becomes this this object of transference an object through which she relates to all these other people around her the book this object at the center of everything is where i wanted to start because it's it's like this heart object which emily puts all of her feelings into and um she tries to get she tries to use it to connect with her mother but her mother is I guess, has some kind of form of Alzheimer's. You know, sometimes she's lucid, sometimes she's not. Sometimes she makes shit up, and Emily doesn't know when that is. And, you know, one of the ways she tries to connect to her mom and to talk about who her dad might be is is through this book and what it means and the connection to astronauts and the stars. And, you know, in the end, that, that doesn't work with her mother, but it does end up helping her connect with her father towards the end of the story. And I, it made me think about MacGuffins, right? And how so many quest stories are centered around, well, if you get the Ark of Octagon, then uh, that will be the key to transformation in the universe, right? And they're empty. They're devoid of anything except being this empty vessel. Whereas what Nina has done in this story is create this vessel that unlocks the story, but with real meaning. Like the way she describes what this book means to Emily, how she poured over it as a kid, the the way the cover has three rips in it and the pages are glossy. And I, I thought it was very beautifully done. This story reminded me of, some of the aspects of it reminded me of a combination of Ray Bradbury and Alan Bennett. Like you're describing the art of space travel in that book, that the way she writes about the way that book talks about space travel it called to my mind bradbury and like r is for rocket and a kind of great hope for what the future of space travel uh could be and reminded me of alan bennett and that the 
The story begins with her discussing the way words are like magic, and discussing where she works, and discussing Benny, and discussing the upcoming space flight. And only deep into that do we begin to get something about Muli, her mom, and then much later, the book. So it reminded me of those Alan Bennett talking head stories, one of which we talked about before in a previous podcast, where the people tend to talk about everything in their life and only occasionally circle back to the real thing that is gnawing at their heart. Yeah. And I loved how in, in, in sketching this, Nina did this thing that I, that I loved. Uh, as much as I love human relationships in and of themselves, I loved how the way Muli was described and the fear that Emily had about losing Muli, at the same time, the freedom that she might get when Muli went away, yeah. just um, mapped right on top of the discussions of what it must mean to leave Earth and go out into the stars on this journey and leave your home behind. And so much of, of the story you know, helps you get to that point. Like at the end of one section, when she is describing how Muli uh, is sick and how leaving her would feel... And um, the next section begins with discussing astronauts and all the things that Emily doesn't think about. What does she think about the astronauts? She thinks about what they're leaving behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just connects subconsciously in your brain, uh, those two things. I thought the the way she gets around to that discussion of one and frustration with, with Emily's current situations it felt very familiar to me. I also wrote down Alan Bennett, and I didn't didn't know if it was something specific to him and his voice or something to specific to Britishness somehow and a particular mode of writing that exists here? Uh, yeah, I think part of it is British. I think, for me, the thing that was Alan Bennett was the, the, the talking heads aspect, the feeling that this was entirely one person talking to us, mm-hmm. talking to somebody. And that, that constant pinging around on a piece of elastic you know desperate to be free desperate to be away and then bouncing back she's she she can't imagine what life would be like without Muli. she doesn't want to imagine and yet she wants her freedom so desperately and i think i think she captures that that internal conflict so delightful to have not space used as a way to recast our world and make us wonder at it but to use human relationships as a way to recast Uh, the journey into space and Mm -hmm. make us feel wonder about space and Mm -hmm. think about it from that intimate place and the two astronauts that are leaving behind their kids and the really just one sentence or two sentences that politicizes it like the female astronaut pilloried in the press for leaving her kids the male astronaut not so much but it's yet again another reflection of that parent-child relationship the desire to be free versus the desire for immortality. There is a series of, of descriptions that I really love that connected together. There's this amazing description of the guy, Benny, uh, very near the beginning of the story, before we even know who Benny might be, or we know the relationship between Emily and her mother, which is about Benny. It's as if he's remembering where he came from, how far there is to fall, and feeling scared. And then when Emily describes her mom, she describes her mom as being somebody who is desperately interested in who we are, how we came here, and where the bloody hell we think we're going. And so I loved how those two descriptions, you know, again, they hit this idea of being poised in a, in a moment in time where you can leap forward, but you're also looking back. You're trying to figure out where you are and where you're going. And there is a, such a beautiful description that also evokes this feeling when Emily is describing her home uh, on Sipson Lane. 
She said, When you walk home in the evenings, though, or on those very rare winter mornings when there's still a hard frost, you could take the turning into Simpson Lane and mistake it for the entrance to another world, the quiet street with its rustling plane trees, the long grass sprouting between the curbstones at the side of the road, the drawn curtains of the houses like gently closed eyelids, the soft glow behind, someone riding past on a bicycle, the red pillar box opposite the Simpson Arms. You'd barely know the airport even existed. It's like an oasis in time, if there is such a thing. The sentence to sentence is so... It's not pretentious or overwrought or effortful in any way, but it's just elegant and does everything, pushes those emotions through in this very straightforward way that I enjoy. I think I started from the negative there because I was going to say, oh, it's so beautiful. But sometimes when people say, oh, the writing is beautiful, it can mean flowery or... We don't listen to those people. <laughs> it sounds it sounds so much like somebody, yeah, just telling you, sitting down and telling you a story. Did you have something you wanted to say about that quote? That quote and, and the other descriptions of the people in the story filled me with a sweet, sad, gorgeous kind of feeling of of what gets described about Emily, of, of a restless half-life, of a perpetual traveler who never goes anywhere. I love how, how focused the story was on the feeling it wanted to evoke, of a kind of conflicted wonder, uh, of being in an oasis in time and seeing a path forward and seeing a kind of inexplicable thing behind you that you couldn't quite understand. I love that uh, by positioning Emily with a mother who she can't quite understand and a father who she doesn't really know, um, she kind of given us, again, like a, a mapping of, of the cosmic world onto us, of a sense mm-hmm. of like, of we don't know where we came from. And when we try to talk to the universe, it's fairly it inexplicable really <laughs> what it's trying to tell us. So we can't really yeah. figure it out. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. But I think that it's a very beautiful way to think about it, that, yeah, when we ask the universe questions, it responds to us like an Alzheimer's patient, <laughs> you know, completely out of context. It's probably confusing you for somebody else. And, and we've built entire philosophies and religions around trying to make sense of that stuff. Um, and at some point, you've just got to accept that it doesn't make sense. I love the way partly that passage that you described but also littered through the whole story are descriptions of that area around Heathrow that strange liminal place that's not really a city in itself mainly there to serve the airport um and it's got this very bleak kind of feeling about it I once worked on a, a project uh one of the BA offices on the perimeter road and there's while you're driving around or flying flying in and out, it looks very busy, very populated. But if you make the mistake of trying to walk from one building to the next, it'll take you half an hour and you might not see anybody in the whole time. It's, it's like being in a rural sort of space that's unpopulated at the same time. It's, it's a really strange combination. Uh, there are stories, right, that set um, cosmicness up against uh, ordinariness. Like there's a, there's an episode of Babylon 5 that focuses on the janitors, and I'm sure there are countless sci-fi stories. Uh, I enjoyed that it didn't feel like this story was particularly positioning itself, as this is a story about ordinary people against the backdrop against extraordinary things. Everything, well, I don't know how to say it. It's not that the, the astronauts felt ordinary, but 
but it feels like that in casting some of those stories in the past as, oh, there's all this amazing stuff going on, but we're going to focus on these ordinary people. It separated amazingness from mm-hmm. ordinary people. And this story is not interested in separating the amazing astronauts from the ordinary people. It's interested in squishing them all together into a kind of a soup that you can just <laughs> eat now. It's not really a soup. Um, it treats them all with the same level of interest and respect. Right, right. And it doesn't say one is better than the other. It's just... Um, Emily and the people around her wonder at the decisions and the ways in which people's lives take them in different directions. Yeah, and their own lives and their own decisions become a part of that of that wonder at the same time. It's a, it's a kind of working through of the beginning of the story where she discusses magic as just being an arrangement of words. You can, if you are willing, you can engender wonder in anybody about anything if you take the time to look and to find the right words to evoke it. We should have to ask. Uh, tweet Nina and ask her if this was inspired by staying at one of those perimeter airports at uh, FantasyCon or EasterCon or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, the cons spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, it can go in, that, the, go in the same box as the Diana Wynne-Jones book, Deep Secret. The box of books based on con hotels. <laughs> yes. I wonder okay. how many there are. I bet there's a lot. Probably. My pick for this week is the first full thought of her life by Deb Olin Unferth from Tin House. It's volume 17, number four, otherwise known as the first full thought of her life is a story of a family climbing a hill of sand at the edge of parking lot. And okay, so that's what the story is about. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, the entire plot. Do they make it to the top? We never find out. Uh, so some other things going on uh, while the family is climbing the hill is there is a shooter and a truck in the parking lot considering whether or not to kill everyone trying to climb the hill and there is also what this narrator is doing with our lives uh which is as the family's making their way up the hill there's a moment in this story that to me made the story that made me want to talk about it which is that as soon as we get the description of the shooter and they raise their gun and you can almost imagine, okay, the family's going up the hill. There, It's a very surreal, strange landscape, because why is there still this giant pile of sand in the form of a dune at the edge of a parking lot that goes on for miles? So if I didn't make that clear, we're in a surreal landscape. It is a strange painting of endless parking lot, a resort built on top of that parking lot, and a giant dune that these family is trying to climb, and a shooter in the car in the parking lot. And when that shooter raises their gun and takes aim... The story breaks, and and no longer are we having kind of a close third perspective describing the shooter and describing the family. We begin to bounce around between all, not just the members of the family, other areas of existence, and not just bouncing around between other areas of existence. We get the thoughts of a baby and some birds and the shooter, and then we get thoughts of the dad, and then we get thoughts of the mom. Which interrupts with the, narrator. the other thoughts. And not, yeah, she's not just interacting with the narrator. Yeah, it's like she's interacting with the other thoughts that yeah. the narrator has yeah. told us. <laughs> like, and the story takes us right up into the moment of whether or not uh, that shot is fired. And the success of that is by her having the shooter and us focus on the shooter, focus on the girl as the person that he will shoot. And this young girl is the girl who is referred to in the title, who is on her way up this dune away from her mother, is having the first full thought of her life, which is that she is alone. Mm -hmm. Not alone, obviously, as the narrator slash the girl says, in the sense of actually being alone. There are clearly people all around her. But she's experiencing the foreignness 
of herself, the surprise of existence. And that's all I want from a story, really. I want you to give me, I want you to give me the peak, and then I want you to tempt me with the idea that it will all be taken away. I couldn't, I couldn't decide if, for me, if the story was doing that or if it was stopping just short of that. In that, it was a little like um, what are those engineering diagrams called, where they're exploded and you see, you see a machine. Um, exploded apart, taken apart in isometric view, and you see every nut and bolt and cog and sheet of metal that goes into making the machine. And you can see them all in isolation, and you can see how they slot together. And in the same way with this story, we, we go through all of the different actors who are playing a part in this shooter and the girl who is about to be shot, and we, we see a little bit about them all. And yet, and yet, it doesn't get to what some writers some people maybe me I don't know I can't I still haven't made my mind about this one um one which is but what happens if the shooter does shoot what is the reaction what is it like you know what is that life like what is it like to have taken that decision you know so you can see the exploded diagram of a gun but it tells you nothing about what happens if you use that gun and and I'm not saying that every story needs to or that's how it should work but I just think it's a really it's a really interesting and for me different way to uh, describe events or to tell a story it's a way I'm not used to seeing the one thing you have to give the story uh you know many things you can give stories or not give them but I think the story clearly knows that it's not giving you for a reason what's going to happen after he shoots because the story before the shot is fired is hinged around what would happen to these people if the shot didn't go off and she goes through all the things that would happen to the shooter to the different people in the family and i thought one of the great things about not giving us what's going to happen after the shot is in a way like this story hit me in a time when i we were traveling through france and it was it was a moment of having heard so much about killings and what we see on the news over and over again is the aftermath, the aftermath, the horror, the tragedy of it. Here is this guy, and they're a monster, and they killed people. And this story, you're right, is, is like a, an exploded model of that moment before it hits the news. This is all the things that are going on before it becomes a news story. Mm-hmm. Like, until he takes the shot, it's, it's just nothing. life. It's just yeah. a day. And... I thought you were, like you're exactly right. Like that feeling that it's a it's a model of a machine that's been exploded apart is right. And I felt like part of what it was doing was it was giving us all of these different models of reality and exploding each model. And the description of the, the setting at the very beginning, she was like, "There are these miles of parking lots that were laid on top of grass and trees, and then on top of the parking lots was built the resort." And I was like, "Wow, this is that thing that I love stories do. They've given us." right away this is the thing i'm talking about like you you build models of reality on top of reality erasing the actual reality while you do it there's a very cool uh cool moment where as the story does the father is thinking oh sorry not the father the baby is thinking about how there is how time doesn't work the way we think it does but space also doesn't work the way we think it does uh and the baby is thinking this and the father is thinking um thoughts about how we assume we know the world when we don't. And there's this great phrase, which is that the wrong way and the real way run alongside each other. 
And this story begins with a river, which, because mm-hmm. I'm reading Ulysses, I'm like, oh, it's a river. It's a stream of life. <laughs> that's what's going on there. That's what all rivers mean, because that's what it means in Ulysses. Uh, but it is true that when I thought about that, and then I got to that phrase of the wrong way and the right way running against each other, I was thinking, wow, in exploding all of these models, she's kind of putting forth all these different thoughts that people have along with birds and other people and kind of allowing them to run all alongside each other, both the right ones and the wrong ones, mm-hmm. and as well as the real and the made-up ones that she doesn't know. Yeah, and and for me that was the crux that I found most interesting was all those different ideas running alongside each other echoed to me the, the struggle we have to tell our own stories or to control the narratives that get told about us. So you have the mother who is arguing with the narrator about what should be said and what should be done. And and it made me think of, okay, well, you know, after shootings happen and they, you know, the media like to report on, well, you know, was it terrorism? Was it mental health? Was it this? Was it that? And especially if there's a little blonde girl, you know, then of course that puts forth one particular kind of narrative. I thought it was a very well done and well balanced presentation of all of those different ideas running around together and not coming down on one side or another about what the narrative should be but just saying all of this shit exists until that inflection point when the trigger gets pulled at which point the police or the media or somebody will decide what the one narrative is that comes out of it right right and from a story point of view it is delightful for me for that to be in my head when i finish to for it to snap into place that when the when the narr- narrative has zoomed out to people three miles away, two miles away, zoomed out to people in a plane coming in for a landing, that you're exactly right. Like once the shot goes off, all of those people will now be included in a narrative. They will make that story part of their lives of how they were landing that day, of how, you know, just a little turn on what people say all the time. Of, Do you remember where you were when X happened? And this story is saying, this is where this person was. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Like, I get... The feeling, and I understand that it being a well-balanced presentation and an exploded model, uh, it can feel maybe not satisfying, like on a on a character level, that maybe you, you don't connect to the people or... It, for me, in that way, it was more like poetry in that I was connecting with the ideas, not the characters. Yes. I was connecting more with, oh, it made me think afterward rather than... You know, it became a lens to think about other things rather than a thing in itself. And I think... Oh, yeah, it was the moment where the story broke where I was where I was suddenly interested and, and cared about it. And a lot of that does have to do with what the story is not just saying about the characters in it, but about us and about this moment in time and about the feeling of where you flip through channels and hear all of these different stories about all these different people that were there. And it can feel deadening. And reading this story felt like even though those people in this story weren't rendered in the way that I might say, that is an amazing character. They were rendered in a way where, for a for a moment, it was like my my mind just expanded in that way that I love stories to do. Whereas, like all of these people exist, and in all of these tragedies, all of these people exist m- f- separate from what we see on the news, which is an obvious thing, uh, <laughs> but really useful to have injected to you. It's too easy to forget. Uh, yeah, it's almost more insidious than forgetting because it's like it just just goes away mm. which i suppose is what forgetting means but i don't know how to put it somehow it feels more insidious than than forgetting but it it's, is it's erased like yeah when you forget something and somebody reminds you like oh yeah that's a thing 
Right. But when it's a rage, yes. you can't even exactly. feel how it was ever a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't just remind somebody, hey, people are people. It has to be written back into you. <laughs> yeah. um, and stories, that, that's, they're good at it if they're, they're done well. They have a good function. Yeah, yeah, they have an excellent write-back function. <laughs> um, and, I, and I love that about this story. And I love, too, that while... Like you said, it was like a poem. I loved how it was, it is a story. It is still constructed like a story. Fantastically. It's like, here's this beautiful day. Here are these people going up a hill. Here's a shooter. Okay, moving dum, dum, on. Dum, dum, yeah, yeah. Um. It definitely knows what it's doing in terms of suspense, in terms of presenting you with a kind of pristine scene, giving you the bomb that could go off at any moment, but then taking the time throughout the story to humanize the bomb and have you think about what they're thinking about. is very cool. There's a bit near the end of the story when the the mom has said all she can say to the shooter, which keep in mind is just through the narrative. The mom isn't speaking to the shooter, really. She's speaking through the narrator to the shooter as though the narrator has some control over what's going to happen, which the narrator lets us know. They don't have control. They don't have control. They don't know what's going on. The camera zooms up to another family arriving at this resort, and it says, 30 miles away, another family was arriving. Tangled up in three seats, they looked as though they'd been in that row for days, though the flight was only two hours. They were warily watching a movie. The protagonist on the tiny screen was the hope of civilization. He embodied all the world's longings and sadnesses. When he flew away, it got dark, and civilization waited for him to come back, which he did, barely in time. He was there to save them. I'm not sure I've heard a more perfect, beautiful, and sad rendering of Superman maybe in my life and i was like ah that was very cool thanks for listening readers as always we have probably not managed to talk about every story that you've loved this week or even said all of the things uh, about these stories that you wanted to say if you have any thoughts you can find us on twitter we're at storylogical which is story like the word oh like the letter and logical like plato you can follow her on twitter at eg kosh and you can follow him on twitter at Kubals. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storylogical, where we pay homage to our overlords, the books and faces. This podcast is brought to you only by our love of short stories. So if you would like to support us, then please, please head over to iTunes and leave us a lovely review. And for show notes, appropriate gifts, links to past episodes and a chance to subscribe to this podcast, you can always find us at our home on the web. Storylogical.com. Thanks for listening, readers. Happy reading. Summer reading makes me feel fine. Blowing through the jasmine in my mind. Three, two.